0: Thank you, Rosie. It's true, I am Ugandan. I live here. Um, There's an old story that says, if you wanted to cook a frog, don't put the frog in the pot of hot water. The frog will jump out. Instead, you put the frog in a pot of cool water, then gradually dial up the heat. Eventually, the cool water is going to boil and the unsuspecting frog will be cooked. How is everyone doing this afternoon? <laughs> um, don't worry, I don't have any frogs to cook for you. But I wonder if you ever feel like that frog in the pot of hot water and it feels like someone actually is dialing up the heat on you. Your parents, maybe they said get an education, get married, settle down, maybe have some children. And you did. Remember your first job was fantastic until you realized you had to work with other people. And they were not nice. Then maybe some of us even got married and it was cool at first. <laughs> then you realized that, oh, people change. Then you had children. They became teenagers. You add to that financial issues, health problems, death and divorce. And after a while, it gets so hot that you just want to get out. You've run out of chances to forgive people. Do you ever feel like that? That you just want out? Here's a word of advice. Don't. See, because we are not frogs. We are more like half-baked bread. And yes, what is true is that most of us are not done yet. If you turn to your neighbor and gently poke them, do they feel squishy? (laughs) And maybe they might need the gym, or or maybe that's a sign that they are not done yet. They are still in the process of being baked. See, there is something cooking in the inside of each one of us this afternoon and say i'm not talking about something like a book or even a song or even a business i'm talking about something deep in the inside of you that is necessary to bring all of your life dreams to life maybe what is cooking in you is resilience or maybe what is cooking in you is love or compassion the bible in the book of genesis tells of a story of a young Joseph, who God, from the tender age, God was cooking forgiveness in his life. If you, if you have your Bible and turn with me to the book of Genesis, I'm going to read from uh, chapter 50. I'll start from verse 15 and we'll stop at verse 21. It says that when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays back for all for, and pays back all the wrong things we did to him? So they sent what to Joseph saying. So they sent what to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph: I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When their messenger came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given to me to speak to your children. I pray that even as I speak, Your presence will be with us. You open our hearts to listen, to learn, and to get involved in the act of forgiveness. I pray that if there's anyone here that probably is still challenged to take the first step, I pray that you open up the door that that will happen in their lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. So, there's a website, called Slate.com. On this website, they actually developed it out of a concept of outrage because they said in the year 2014, the year 2014 was recorded as a year of rage. That's the year that people just went off at nearly anything. And ever since that day, they developed a website where you can go and click on any day of the year and you get to know what people were angry about. So you can go month by month, day by day, week by week, and you, you click, say, on December 2015, and something will come up like Donald Trump. You go on and click, you'll find Donald Trump again. It seems Donald Trump was a the theme of people's rage. And people were annoyed at him, not even because of what he said, some people, when you click, some people are annoyed at the color of his hair. There are some people that were annoyed because he patted the, king's back, the queen's back. And so in that same year, they recorded what politicians said and how people reacted. What celebrities did and how people reacted. If a celebrity didn't drive a car, they walked, they would... People would say, oh, he's showing off because he has expensive cars, he doesn't want people to judge him. And people would go off and people would tweet on on Twitter, they would go on Facebook and these guys did that survey to record that. In 2018, there was something else that outraged people. September on the 6th, when you clicked on it, the face of Amber Geiger, a Dallas police officer, comes up. And the story goes that Amber Geiger on that day worked a 13-hour shift. She was exhausted. That's what she claimed in court. She entered apartment 1478. In that apartment, there was a black, a black guy, 26 years of age, an accountant, and a worship leader in his church. He was seated on his couch, watching tv eating ice cream in his boxer shorts unarmed amber geiger took out her gun and shot him dead in court she said she confused the apartment 1478 for apartment 1378 because amber geiger lived in an apartment below botham Shem, shem jones and people were outraged especially in the African-American community. Because everyone said, we have seen this before. Another black life that has gone at the mercy of police. And so her case, of course, came to uh, court. She was relieved of her duties, and she was charged for killing an innocent black guy. Everyone was celebrating. The churches were celebrating the victory. Everyone tested the justice. That, that that case brought to them. But their, their celebrations came to an end when they found out the sentencing. Amber Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And people felt that the offense and the sentencing did not match. So there was another outrage. Because Amber Geiger could get out of jail after serving five years on good behavior. However, on the day of sentencing, another thing happened that again caused division, especially in the body of Christ. Because on the day that the judge is passing out the sentencing, there's what they call the plead in mitigation, where someone, either from the family of the offender or the family of the person that was offended, goes, goes to the stand and they'll give their peace. And the, the aim of them saying whatever they say is to try and change the judge's mind to either decrease the sentencing or to increase the sentencing of course amber geiger's mother went and she pleaded for her daughter she said she was sorry and in court amber geiger was crying she said if she could take back that day she would every other person spoke and they were expressing their pain of losing a son however when Botham Jones' brother came to speak, his name is Brad, Brad Jones. This is what he told Amber Geiger. He said, I'm not going to sit here and say all the wrong things you've done to my family because I know you already know that. And I'm not going to stand here and say, I hope you go to jail, you go to jail and rot there. I won't say that. I don't hate you. I want you to know that. In fact, I love you. Then he goes on and says, I forgive you. He then asked the judge whether it was possible for him to go and give Amber Gaiga a hug. The judge first refused and said, no, it, it wasn't possible. And he pleaded with the judge and said, please, can I hug her? Finally, the judge said, go ahead. And he went and embraced Amber Gaiga for about a minute. And everyone in court was crying. The judge herself was weeping. However, Brad John's comments that day caused divisions in the body of Christ because we all differ with what forgiveness looks like or what forgiveness is. On the one hand, you had some people that said that is what it means to be a Christian. That is what Jesus talked about when he said you are to forgive your enemies. On the other hand, You had those that said, what a shame. Another black guy forgiving so easily. Now, if you're like me, you're probably swinging somewhere in the middle. And you looked at Brad and said, he's a better man than me. I don't know about forgiving her so soon. Maybe after 10 years, I would think about it. But regardless of where you stood on that issue in the body of Christ, the one thing that we have to agree on is that forgiveness is at the core of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was about anything, it was about forgiving. That's why I'm challenged when Jesus says, Don't, you, we, we are not only supposed to forgive once, but we are to forgive seven times seven and seven and so many times. That's why I'm challenged when Jesus says, how do you expect the Father in heaven to forgive you if you can't forgive your neighbor? I'm challenged when I see Jesus on the cross hanging, bleeding with pain, and he still has the power of God and say, Father, please forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. That's why you have to thank God that it wasn't me, because I don't have that in me. Now, revenge I get that. Cursing you out, I'll do that. At forgiveness, I don't have that in me. Yet, we are all called to forgive. And if I know life the way I think I do, is that at some point in your life, you are going to struggle with forgiveness. And I also don't have to be a prophet to say that there's someone that has walked in this room today that is struggling to forgive, a wound that was done to them. Maybe that wound is even recent and is still very sensitive. Or maybe it's a scar and it's in the process of being healed. Offense is inevitable. And because it's inevitable, it has the power to put our Christianity in contention with our identity. And yet God says, even when it's difficult... We are to forgive one another. Now, if Brad Jones annoyed you, Joseph in the Bible, his reaction to his brother would actually also annoy you. If you go with me to the the book of Genesis again, we see the story of Joseph unfolding. The book of Genesis talks about the patriarchs and the matriarchs in the Bible. The book of Genesis is about Adam and Eve. The book of Genesis talks about um, Noah. The book of Genesis also talks about Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. The book of Genesis also talks about Jacob and Leah and Rachel. But the book of Genesis is generally all about Joseph. And the whole story begins in chapter 37 when Joseph goes to his brothers. Joseph is the 11th child out of 12 that were born to Jacob. However, Joseph and Benjamin were the only two children born to Rachel who was Jacob's true love. And because of that, Jacob favored Joseph more than his brothers. And so he goes to his brothers and he shares his dream of greatness. See, the problem was not his dream of greatness. The problem was him sharing it with his brother. And because he shared the dream of greatness with his favor from the father, the brothers were jealous and they plotted a plan to kill him. Of course, the story goes that they threw him in the pit, but then they changed their mind and sold him into slavery. And that triggered a series of bad events after bad events after bad events after bad events in the life of Joseph. Joseph was lied to. People accused him of rape. He was thrown in jail. The people that he helped in jail promised to look after him after they left, and they didn't do that. But the Bible says that Joseph... Even when all those bad things happened to him, God was still with him. In verse 41, Joseph now meets Pharaoh, and Pharaoh elevates Joseph at the highest place in the uh, in the land. He was vice Pharaoh. Famine broke out, and his brothers traveled all the way to Egypt, and guess who they find? Joseph. Joseph recognizes his brothers but they don't. What a sweet place to be in when your enemies, the people that did wrong to you, actually need you. I wonder what would you do? Listen to the words of Joseph how he replied his brothers. In verse 16, Joseph rather 19 Joseph said, "Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Do you feel forgiveness in the words of Joseph that day? Joseph teaches us a lesson in life. And the lesson is simple. Don't take the place of God. Just offer forgiveness to people. And today I want us to look at how Joseph was able to offer that forgiveness to his brothers. And so I suggest that we look at, when we look at um, Joseph's story, we look at Joseph made a deliberate decision not to let anger control him. And we have to make that decision, not to operate in anger. Anger is addictive. And because anger is addictive, it gives us power to treat other people in a way we feel like we want. Because they've wronged us, we feel we can make fear a factor in their lives. Has someone ever wronged you and you tell them, watch your back? You put them in the place of fear because anger is, addic- is addictive. Uh, Christian writer John Biveri says, in, uh, he has a book I re- which I recommend for us to read if you have time. It's called The Bait of Satan. In that book, he says that offense and being wounded is one of the most productive tools that the devil uses to, to danger your, not only your relationships here on earth, but also your relationship with God. It's a bait of Satan, and most of us will fall into that bait if we don't let anger go. Nelson Mandela also has something to say about anger. If you don't know about Nelson Mandela, I talk about him a lot because I admire him. Nelson Mandela was in prison 27 and a half years on an island where they couldn't see anyone. In those years... He could only write a letter to his wife twice a year of only 500 words. He never saw his children until they were 16. In the 27 years he was in prison, his mother died. And he asked for permission to go and bury his mother because he was the firstborn son and it was his duty. Of course, permission was denied. In those years, his wife was imprisoned more than four times. In the same time when he was in prison, his firstborn child, who was named after him, also died in a car accident. Again, permission was denied for him to go and bury his son. But yet, Nelson Mandela has the courage to write and say, anger or bitterness is like drinking poison and you hope the other person that did you wrong is going to die. There's nothing good that comes out of anger. And so when we look at Joseph, we look at, we, we, I question and say, why was he able to let go of his anger so quickly? Because if anger is addictive and anger gives you power, why was he quick enough to say, I won't operate in anger? I think I would suggest that Joseph knew how to take time to work through his emotions. He took time. Because sometimes forgiveness takes time. The Bible says that whenever Joseph got angry around his brothers. He left the room. He went. He cried. He screamed. And he composed himself and came back to speak his brother. Not in a place of anger. Forgiveness is not a destination. Forgiveness is a journey. And that journey does not begin with an apology. If you wait for an apology from your offenders, probably you will never start that journey. Forgiveness also does not start with justice. Because we don't forgive out of justice. Because justice convicts. Forgiveness is out of mercy. We are choose and we forgive. Also, Joseph also knew where he stood. Remember when he talked to his brother, he told them, you meant this for evil, but God. He knew he was in a place of authority. You see, many times when people offend us, we forget the blessings that God has brought our way. This morning, I talked about my relationship with my ex-girlfriend. It ended really bad. Now, I have... I had I moved on, got married, of course, beautiful wife, two beautiful children. I could hold the the anger of my heartbreak and forget the blessings that God has brought my way out of my, my place of heartbreak. Nelson Mandela ended up being a president of South Africa. He could hold the grudge and say, all right then, you did that to me out of the country. He didn't because he knew God has been with him. He could have died in jail. He didn't do that because when you operate in anger, you limit yourself and you forget about the blessings of God. So we need to make a decision not to let anger operate within us because when we forgive, the devil will come and say, you are foolish. You notice Brad Jones. He could have gone to that stand and remembered. But my brother was innocent. He was unarmed. He was in his boxer shorts in his own apartment. And if he played that in his head, he would have operated and probably go purchase a gun to seek revenge. And we all know where revenge leads. It leads back to the same scene. Number two, I think we have to have a discussion about the truth of the offense. We have to have a discussion. Nelson Mandela and Bishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa, the very first thing they did after apartheid ended, they put together a truth and reconciliation committee where people came, not pointing fingers or blaming or choosing, but talking and saying the offense and offer forgiveness and accepting forgiveness. On that day, probably it was about the, the second time that they met, a group of two boys that had killed a white, a white woman. The husband to the, to the woman comes in court and he comes face to face with the killers of, 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 the, of the wife. The boys, their defense could have been, we were defending ourselves. Our homes were being burnt, but they didn't. The man told them what he, how he felt when his wife went. Because he said, I understood. I participated in apartheid. My wife never did. She actually helped out. You took her from me and it caused me pain. And in that moment, the boys asked the guy, we, don't know, we didn't know that this will, be, will make you feel as bad as it did. Please forgive us. The guy came and they hugged. And that was a beautiful story. You can go and watch the whole series where people were talking about the pain, the forgiveness. And the whole story moves you and say, and makes you think, why do we dwell in rage than acting in forgiveness? See, Joseph again asks his brothers, I think in verse 13, uh, Forty-seven. He tells them, tell me about your family. And so they, they say, we have a father. He's back home. His name is Jacob. He has two wives. He also tell, they also tell him about the, 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 themselves. They, they name Robin. They name everyone. And they didn't even name Joseph. They said, we have a brother. And he dead. They didn't even remember his name to say, oh, we had a brother, Joseph. He died. And Joseph tells them, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Your brother was Joseph and you killed him. So you have to have a discussion with the offenders. And it's not pointing fingers. It's bringing out the pain they caused to you for them to know that they actually caused you some damage. Because very rarely will we ever forgive if the offender does not know or is not aware of the extent extent of the offense very rarely will we do that number three we have to decline to disclose the offense to people that don't need to know we have to decline to disclose the offense to people that don't need to know if i asked you how you're doing i don't need to know what they did to you i just want you to tell me how you're feeling This morning I gave an example. I can't see my sister Rosie. I was planning to use her. But I'll use... Oh, Rosie, are you sleeping? (laughs) If Rosie offended me, maybe we went into an argument and she ran her mouth and told everyone about my business and said things that she shouldn't have said. Rosie then goes up on stage to sing, and she moves the house. People give their lives to Christ. Then I, I meet Tim, and Tim tells me about how powerful Rosie's singing was tonight. I see, because I'm still stuck in my place of anger, I will not dwell on the achievement of the Holy Spirit. What I will tell Tim, let me tell you about Sister Rosie. Of course, me and Rosie have no grudge. Rosie is a good person. So Joseph, the other thing Joseph did, whenever Joseph was to confront his brothers, what Joseph did, he sent all the Egyptians out of the room. All the Egyptians. He talked to his brothers one-on-one. Because he knew where he stood. He was the most powerful man in the land of Egypt. And he knew, if he told the Egyptians what his brothers did, probably Pharaoh would have ordered them to be killed. See, so when people offend us, the idea is, or there are chances that we are going to reduce them to the offense that they've committed to us. And so because we want people to dislike the people we don't like, we start to move this person to this place and say, he's like this, he's a liar. Is a heartbreaker. And God doesn't want us to do that to people. We don't have to reduce people to their offense. Number four, we have to determine that the destiny of our offenders is in the hands of God. It is not about us. God is in charge of their lives. Joseph told his brothers, I am not God. I'm just someone that you wronged and I just wanted to share what you did to me and I forgive you. Don't be afraid of me. Maybe you have to be afraid of God. Brad Jones told Amber Geiger in court, I hope you go to God and ask him for forgiveness and I hope that you go to him sincerely because he has the power to forgive you. It is not in our hands to condemn people. And the quickest way to let people go and God deals with them is to pray for them. The simple way of letting go is pray for your offenders. I was reminded of this back when my girlfriend dumped me, she actually went with my best friend. And it was painful. Of course, we were both in church. So I went to pastors to ask for help. So the first pastor I went to, he was really a really nice guy. He knelt down with me and we prayed. But I still needed more because I wanted justification. I wanted them to say, yes, they were wrong. We need to chase them out of the church. So I go to another pastor and I say my peace. And I told him, no, she's the one. God told me she's the one. And so this pastor, a very good guy, he hands me a Bible and says, Fred, I want you to flip through those scriptures in the Bible. If you find one scripture that says she's your wife, I'm going to kneel down with you and pray for you. I was furious. So I go to another pastor, this guy, Pastor Doug Stride. He used to be our worship lead, our worship pastor. He's actually now back in america with his family so i go to him because i thought at last i'm going to get someone who will understand my pain because he's their boss they work under his ministry so i go to him and say they did this and did this and did that and i was hoping for him to say yeah their job is finished but he didn't he said fred i want you to thank god that this wasn't a marriage that was broken In my head, I was exploding. And then he went on and said, now, what I want you to do is to start praying for them. I left. I never did praying for them for about two years. I never spoke to Pastor Doug. I avoided him because I thought he was not human. I've been wronged, and now I have to kneel down and pray for my offenders. After a while, I decided to try. I prayed. The first prayer was not easy. It went on like, bless them. The second prayer was not easy too. But then I kept praying. And then I even started fasting. So I set aside a whole day, every week, every Wednesday, pray and fasting that God will bless them. And I'm telling you, I didn't need to go to a psychologist to deal with my pain. I didn't need to confess. All my heartbreak disappeared in those prayers. In those prayers, it released my anger. I'm happy to say I was a blessed person because I actually reconciled with, with, with my friends. And actually last year we even ran gents camp together. And see, don't confuse because some relationships will never, will never be re- reconciled. Some relationships will end at forgiveness and that's it. If you're lucky, you might be like me and you can reconcile and get back your friend. So pray for them. If you struggle to forgive people, kneel down and talk to God. Tell him what they've done to you. When we pray, we have to be careful not to pray against them. We don't pray that God will throw them in fire. We pray that God will change their hearts, that they won't go on to the next person and offend them. We pray that God will bless them, that they will be better people. We pray that God will increase their territory. And when we do that, we break down the wall, the chain of anger. Because anger is like a chain. It imprisons you. Nelson Mandela, when he was released, this is what he said when he was stepping out of his prison cell. He said, Even as I leave prison, I know if I don't leave my anger in this prison cell, I'm just stepping in another prison. See, because when people offend us, they live like a spear in us. And it's up to us to let go and let them be. Because when they, we, we, we sometimes feel like if we drag them with us, then we have a bit of the two worlds, the pain they've caused us and the grief we are going through. But when we let go, the chains fall off. And the wall that has been step, uh, built up between you and God is broken down. And then... You allow God to heal you. See, forgiveness does not heal us. It's only God that heals. But forgiveness may stand in our, in our way with God's healing. When we break the walls, yes, it is possible. And so even as I conclude, I want to ask a very simple question. Who are you struggling to forgive? Who do you need to go back home and write a letter to? Or who do you need to go home and give a call to? Forgiveness is very difficult, but it is not impossible. Nelson Mandela said that forgiveness liberates the soul. It breaks down fear. That's why it's such a powerful weapon. Forgiveness is legit, and I want to ask you to try it. It works. It will break off every single chain that you've been dragging for years or even for days. Amen? Let us pray. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to, um, that we've had to listen to you to learn about forgiveness and to see examples of men that refused their anger to control them and step in the, in the place of forgiveness and allowed you to heal them. We pray that if there's anyone among us that is still struggling to take the first step in the journey of forgiveness, that you give us courage. You give us wisdom on how to go around it. Give us the words and the composure that we may be able to confront those that offend us in kindness, with mercy. I pray that even as we start a new week, that you, um, you help us to journey through all the life, uh, anger and stress that people cause us and that we'll bring everything back to you and say, please God, help. We also continue to pray for um, Nathan, who is... Uh, walking through his pain uh, with a lung disease and infection, we pray that through the power of your son Jesus Christ, you heal him. We pray that you lead the doctors to the right medication that he needs, that if there's any pain in his body that the infection is causing, I pray that you take it away in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So, We are going to have our communion. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and gave to his disciples and told them to share in that they were partaking in his body. He also gave them a jar of wine and told them to drink, to remember. He said, remember this with what I'm doing, I'm about to do for you. And so when we have communion, we don't take it lightly. We take it with reverence to what God did for us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you've accepted Jesus Christ and you know you're free to come and have your communion, and even if you're still maybe tossing around the decision of following Jesus Christ, the Lord's table is still open for you. You can make your peace at the lord's table because god loves each one of us that's why he sent his son to come and die for us and that's why we eat and that's why we drink to remember the forgiveness of our father so even as you come take your take a piece of biscuit we don't have bread and also take your juice we don't have the wine but as you're doing that i want to ask you to pray and remember that God still loves you, regardless of what you're going through. Amen. You can come now.